Welcome back to Fantastical Truth from Lorehaven. I am E. Stephen Burnett, and I'm glad you've joined us for episode five of the podcast. Our mission once more is to find truth in fantastic stories. Then we will apply these amazing worlds to the real world that Jesus Christ has called us to serve. I'm Zachary Russell, but call me Zach. And this time we're taking up another big theme to explore. We'll be looking at the fantasy action drama, The Witcher, which arrived on Netflix just before Christmas 2019. It's the latest of several fantasy TV series, which seem to be following in the footsteps of Game of Thrones. Now, Zach, when we say we'll be looking at it, I don't mean we'll actually be watching it, uh, either on the podcast or before. Uh, We're going to be uh, very, very questionable here and actually not see the series for ourselves, but we are going to talk with someone who has seen the series. We ourselves don't feel like we've had the time or the willingness to see this because of reasons that we will get into. Yep. So we'll be joined today by a new guest, Jason Moorhead. Um, Steven actually sat down with him earlier for an interview. I myself was not there because I was fighting the flu. And honestly, I'm still kind of recovering. Uh, don't get the flu, kids. Uh, it's not worth it. That's not that big one, that terrible no. virus we've been hearing about in the news. No, then. just the plain old flu. Okay. Yep. Which does enough harm Boring. on its own, even without media hype. <laughs> right. So um, Jason Moorhead, though, has seen The Witcher, and he wrote some opinions about it on his website, opuszine.us. And that article uh, was called Giving Up on The Witcher. So he didn't like it. No. <laughs> and the, uh, the subtitle was, The, the series uh, Gratuitous Sex and Nudity Reveals a Certain Lack of Faith and Imagination. Now, um, I took some time to read through Jason's website, Stephen, and there was one thing I really like about his approach to reviews, and it's this statement. He said, quote, I simply don't like trashing stuff. I always try to find a few good things about whatever I review. I'd much rather write about stuff I love than trash stuff I hate, end quote. So right away, that was one of the reasons I'm really glad to have him on this episode. Um, He reflects a similar attitude we, you and I try to have on Fantastical Truth. That's right. We actually shared in uh, January 2020, we shared Jason's article about The Witcher to the Lorehaven page on Facebook. If you want to follow us there, it's at facebook.com slash lorehavenmag. We'll also put that link in the show notes, uh, not only to the Facebook page, but to that share specifically. We've got a lot of discussion from readers, and as someone who has uh, hosted several discussions on this topic, not just about The the Witcher specifically, actually not at all about that, but about similar shows and some of the philosophies that go into making these shows, I'm not surprised about that discussion. Uh, Every once in a while uh, on that page, we will share articles that touch on these sensitive topics, and we'll also be exploring those in the podcast. Even though we want to focus on Christian-made stories, Christians who are fans of fantasy don't just read or watch stuff by Christians, obviously. Uh, We do participate in the world. We're going to get hit with the news about these shows. Fans are going to come up to us at work or wherever we are and say, "Ah, did you see this amazing show that just dropped to streaming service X? You got to see it. It's amazing. Well, should we see it? Should we not? Uh, If we do, what do we think about it? And that's why we're exploring this topic now. So here's our disclaimer about this episode uh, to you, listener. Um, As you might have guessed from the subtitle of Jason's article, this topic involves a lot of mature topics. There's clean language and everything, but if you're a younger listener or a parent listening with kids, we just want to be upfront and say, this might not be suitable for you or for them. So we're going to leave it up to your discretion, but we just want to be upfront about that. For example, obviously, I think this, this theme would bring questions from younger children that uh, they would not be ready, you know, in terms of their maturity, 
uh, to participate in a discussion about. If your kids are older, though, maybe you might want to listen with your kids if they're with you and let that be an opportunity to engage at least in an early discussion about this kind of story and how Christians think about it. But again, yes, that's absolutely up to you. Um, I do think that you know perhaps uh, teenagers could listen to it. Again, that's up to you, the parent, you, the guardian, you, the leader, uh, as their spiritual influence in their life. We are going to be seeing more of this kind of show, though, because it does sell. It gets conversations started like this. Is this a good thing? Uh, in this article, Jason Moorhead describes how he wanted to like The Witcher. Uh, it's a big budget. It's a high concept fantasy. It's on Netflix. It's super popular. Netflix these days, all of that. Uh, he also describes it, though, as fractured and all over the place. Those are his phrases there. And as you've likely guessed again from the title, uh, he has a bit to say about the series' uh, arguable exploitation of the actors. That is, <laughs> the show presents the actors walking around in a state that they ought not be in in public. That is, without their clothes on. So let's cut right to that interview. Uh, thanks, uh, our thanks again for uh, Jason joining us. And let's begin. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on Fantastical Truth. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for writing this article as well. Uh, it is at, again, opuszine.us. Uh, briefly, can you just describe a bit of your ministry with Opuszine, what sorts of things you write about, how long you've been doing it, all that good stuff? Sure. So I am a pop culture nerd, you know, movies, music, anime, manga, comic books. And Opus is really, uh, I've, been doing, I've been writing online in one form or another for about, about 23 years now. And Opus is sort of my attempt to really kind of shine a light on those artists, those titles, those works that I think deserve to be spotlighted and to try and encourage people to think critically about them and, and to think thoughtfully of them. And, I, you know, the word critically sometimes has a negative connotation these days, um, but it's really I want to bring people's attention to stuff that I think is really cool and worthwhile and, and encourage them to think thoughtfully and carefully about the pop culture that surrounds us because we live in a very pop culture saturated society these days. You know, the, a lot of the stuff that, you know, I grew up when I was growing up, like I never would have thought that we'd have these multi-billion dollar comic book movies, for example. And so much of what is so much of what was considered to be nerdy and geeky is now a massive part of our, pop culture landscape. And The Witcher is a perfect example because if you would have told me even like 10 years ago that, hey, we're going to be seeing these high concept epic fantasy series, you know, left and right, I, I don't know if I would have believed you necessarily. And yet here we are, you know, we have The Witcher, um, Amazon is working on The Wheel of Time and Lord of the Rings. Um, it seems like everyone's wanting to do these sort of epic fantasy series. And so it's, on the one hand, it's really cool as 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 a as a nerd, but there comes a lot of stuff that we need to. I, I think we need to kind of process through and think through when it comes to some of these series, which was the result, which results in the the article that you mentioned, right? Uh, which again, uh, titled "Giving Up on the Witcher." So, kind of telegraphing there, uh, <laughs> your your overall response to it mm -hmm. not uniformly positive. Uh, right. We will say, by the way, of, of course, you know, wanting to find the goodness, the truth, and the beauty in examples of popular culture that reflect man's at best mixed up nature because God has put you know, still a lot of himself, his common graces in the world. Mm -hmm. We're going to be positive where we can, but you know, it's also our job as Christians to be a little bit prophetic, uh, which yeah. can come across as con 
condemning sometimes. So we're going to be as gracious as possible, but we also will be very direct in in exploring this. Uh, Jason and I, by the way, also have worked at uh, the website ChristandPopCulture.com, uh, where we do a lot of these kinds of articles. Uh, Jason, you, you do the do the webmastering, correct, as well as writing articles uh, yourself. Yes, I I am the the resident web tech guru, uh, webmaster, if you will, of Christ and Pop Culture. Yes, as well as writing really good articles there. Uh, I think uh, Jason and I worked on uh, a couple of articles in a Doctor Who series a, a little yeah. while ago. So, all right. So uh, what we did actually a few weeks ago uh, in January, well, in January uh, 2020, we shared this article on the Lorehaven Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash Lorehaven mag. If you want to follow us there, it started quite a discussion. Uh, as uh, as this sort of subject matter always seems to do uh, when we blog about it or talk about it, probably our, our most negative response uh, came from from Jeremy B. Uh, we won't ask you to get into a one sided comment war uh, on the podcast. <laughs> uh, he wrote a very I think he had the longest comment on there, actually mm-hmm. uh, wrote a couple of hundred words, uh, starting with this quote. I'm going to have to disagree. Oh, I agree that there's a lot of sex and nudity, way more than I would be comfortable with in the real world. But the world of The Witcher is not the real world, and it's not intended to be. Rather, it's intended to be very different, and we're not intended to be party to that world, but distant spectators to it. So while it all seems gratuitous to us, the question we need to be asking is, is it gratuitous to the characters that live there? And in my opinion, no, it is not. End quote. Uh, My emphasis there was where he had capitalized some words for emphasis. And of course, he was responding to the article that you'd already written. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, can you summarize your article and then maybe on the way, you know, maybe respond, you know, sure. to, this, to this idea that, okay, it's not exploitative, you know, it's meant to reveal something terrible about this world if you're a character that's there. So, um, I mean, first of all, I, I just want to say, I think that he brings up some really good points about the nature of fantasy in general, whether you're talking right. about books or movies and sort of, you know, to use, you know, the, the, the secondary creation, um, I believe is Tolkien's term. And, so when I watch The Witcher, I you know I I I will preface by saying that I've not read any of the original novels, and I have a very passing familiarity with The Witcher video games. Um, so it's just the, a TV show to you. You're not you're not yes. As I like to say, it's not your native fandom. You, you don't right. come to it with all kinds um, of expectations based on the books or games. That's correct. I, I was coming just as a fan of epic fantasy in general. And so, I mean, I'd done some research on the series before, so I to kind of familiarize myself with the with the world and with the mythology of The Witcher, just so I didn't wasn't going completely blind. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of you know doing your research on stuff that you're going to watch, um, so that you can set your expectations correctly and right. walk away going, "Well, that wasn't what I expected at all." Well, right. You know, expectations. And so I started watching it, and um, the I mean, there are a couple of things about it that I mean, it's clear that Netflix is pouring a lot of money into it. It's very well made. Um, they did some really great casting work. You know, it's clearly not a it's not a low budget production. Like, and, and you as, as list your Henry Cavill in there, right. my, 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 my man, my Superman. And I mean, and Cavill himself is a huge fan of The Witcher. And, you know, and it's cool to see, you know, you see actors who it's not just a paycheck to them. Like it is a passion project. Like I always like to see that. He fought for the role from, from what I've read. Yes. Right. And so I feel like when you have something like that, it just sort of elevates the, the subject material in general because, because it's, it's not just a paycheck. They're actually going in and like they want to do a good job because they themselves are fans, which I think is really cool. But what struck me was kind of the same. I had a similar experience to watching The Witcher that I did with Game of Thrones where I was sort of 
taken aback, if you will, by the the some of the, the graphic and in my in my opinions the gratuitous nature of the show in terms of not just in terms of violence but also in terms of sexual content and nudity. Um, and in fact, I, I I'm a huge fan of the um, George R. R. Martin's novels, and I'm a Song of Ice and Fire. Yes, and I you know I, I keep waiting for the next one to come out. I have you know, but I've kind of given up hope of that happening anytime soon. And so I went in when I started watching Game of Thrones, I went there with a lot of excitement and was sort of surprised at how gratuitous that series came compared to the books. And and the books are very dark, but um and very graphic. But the show just added an extra level to it without some of the nuance that the novels have, in my opinion. And watching The Witcher, I had sort of a similar experience of like, this just feels really unnecessary. I get that it's a brutal cold, violent world. I get that the Witcher himself is sort of this ostracized individual who doesn't really have a place in society. He's a fearsome warrior. Um, he gets mixed up and he's a monster hunter. So there's going to be a lot of dark subject matter, and, and which was not a, a, a deal breaker at all. But when it came to the sex and nudity, I, I was just watching it and just thinking, this just feels really unnecessary to me. And so to speak to uh, Jeremy's comment, I think that he does, he makes some very good points in that we need to, first of all, take into consideration the world that we're watching um, and the rules, if you will, that, that govern that world. And, you know, and that, this goes all the way back to Tolkien, you know, this was a huge thing for Tolkien and that's why his works are so amazing is because he spent so much time on figuring out the rules of his mythology and making sure that it was consistent and deep and thoughtful and i certainly think that the witcher had aspects of that um and which and when it was doing that when it was building the mythology the of the different races and the different um the politics of the area like i found that stuff really fascinating the the fact of the matter is you know you know jeremy says you know it all seems gratuitous to us but the question we need to be asking is is it gratuitous to the, the characters that live there and that's a very good point to raise and that's a i, I love that sort of discussion but at the end of the day, we are the ones who are watching it. Right, right. And, and it's, not, it's not the show going on in an enclosed bubble right. universe. Yeah, we, we are invited in. We are invited in, and we have to determine for ourselves, is this a world that I want to, even if it is internally consistent, even if it is, for lack of a better term, realistic and believable to the, you know, in terms of the characters and, and believable to the characters that live in it. The fact that at the end of the day, we are still the ones who are watching it. We are still, we may be, even if we're distant spectators, we're still spectators. And we are not, I'm not, I don't at all for, a, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of this idea that we can watch something and not be changed by it. Right. Well, that's the power of story. I that's, mean, exactly. the, the whole idea is that stories can change you for good or ill or mixed. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about stories. That's, we want to watch stories, you know, whether it's on a TV show or a movie or in a book. Because we want, we do want it to change us. I mean, that's what is so great about, you know, especially fantasy and sci-fi stories is that they can, they literally take us to another world that we can exist in. And so at the end of the day, the question for me is, is this a world that I benefit from existing in? If I can, if I can put it that way. And, and this is where I think that faithful Christians can certainly come down on different sides of the argument. And for me, as much as I admire aspects of the story and as admirable as it is in some ways, as a matter of conscience, 
I don't think I can live here anymore, you know, to, to put it that way. Right. Certainly, I would never in a million years question another Christian's faith who said, you know what, I can live here. I do enjoy this story. I do find value. I want to hear that because I find that interesting. If, if, a, if someone says, you know what, yeah, the story, like there was a lot of nudity in here, but I found these aspects redemptive you know, in the character of, you know, in the, in the character of Yennefer or the character of the, the Witcher himself. I, I want to know, even if I may end up ultimately disagreeing, I still find that fascinating because I want to hear, I, I, I do enjoy hearing people's takes on it. But at the end of the day, it's, it is a judgment call that I have to make for my own, my own benefit, if you will. And I think that's what I was trying to get at with the article, with the article is, Here's where I stand. The, the other thing I, 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 I found troubling, and I think one of the other things we, 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 we can talk about is the, you know, when it comes to sex and nudity, one of the questions that I've been asking myself more and more is what impact does this have on the people who are making the stuff that we're watching? Right. Um, it's, not just an, yeah. it's not just enough for me to think, oh, that was a really cool story. I enjoyed it. But just as I've heard more and more stories, and certainly with like the whole Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein, and I found myself asking more and more, how is the what effect does this have on the people who are making it, both in front of the camera and behind the camera? And that was another thing that was raised during this because I, you know, I've heard you know, you read articles by like Amelia Clark, who played Daenerys on Game of Thrones, and how. Um, some of the experiences she had doing her nude scenes and how troubling and, and difficult those were, which kind of just further soured me on the Game of Thrones series in general. Right. Well, um, she's been she's been very honest where she she yeah. was in an interview recently. We'll link to that in the show notes as well, where she was saying, you know, when she goes to conventions or people will see her out in public and you know, generally they're very polite and they react, you know, because they're, they're fans of the show, she says, but she was very direct and she said, she'll just be struck by the realization. Oh, oh my goodness. You have, you've seen me undress like everything, right. everything. Yeah. She's a real person. This is not computer generated yeah. imagery. Yeah. These are people made in God's image and who have dignity. And the question that thoughtful, discerning Christians, even if we are okay with seeing these images without sending any more than usual. And I think that's a possibility. Yeah. But the big question to ask is, irrespective of our own consciences, what are we doing to the conscience of our neighbor, the yeah. actor or actress who, who are doing this for, for our benefit as part of the story? I mean, that we have to ask those questions. And even just like, yeah, I, I, that's, you know, in, in hearing like the, the human cost of these, of the production of these stories, you know, th this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it kind of ties in with this main point. Um, I think it was about a, a year or two ago, I, I read an article about the people who were making um, the latest version of the Mortal Kombat video game series. Oh, and I remember this. Yes. If, you, if you've ever played the Mortal Kombat video game series, you know that they're incredibly violent and inc incredibly graphic in how they show how you can like dismember and disembowel your opponents. And it's incredibly. Yes. Right. And, you know. And I'll admit, you know, when, when those games count, when it came out when I was in high school, like I loved playing Sub-Zero and, you know, ripping out somebody's spine. And, but it was kind of cartoonish at the time because of the graphics. But these days, the graphics have gotten so realistic and so lifelike. And there was an interview with one of the developers of the series who, was set, who revealed that the people who make these games, these ultra-violent video games, like some of them actually have to go into counseling afterward because of the, 
because they often have to watch very like real life graphic footage from, you know, what, whatever, you know, whatever it is like autopsy videos or like as a reference, yes, as a reference to make these. And, and it, to them, it's like you, you play it and it's like, Oh, this is just a fun video game. But then you, you kind of hear behind the scenes. Oh my gosh. Like these developers are suffering PTSD because they have been exposed to so much graphic content in the production of this video game. And I think the same thing, that same thing sort of applies here of, Here's a, you know, a sex scene or a nude scene. And what did the actor or actress? Well, it's almost always an actress, which that's a whole other thing. It does seem to be kind of skewed in one direction, doesn't it? it? And, and it yet, is when almost... people talk about equality, uh, it seems to go further in the direction of, well, yeah. if we're going to do this to women, we should also do this to men. And I'm, yeah. I'm back here going, maybe we shouldn't be doing it at all. <laughs> right. And you, but you, you, I find myself asking, OK, what did this actor or actress have to do to prepare themselves to be exposed like that, you know, did they have to take a couple of stiff drinks. Did they have to, you know, get some coaching? Did they have to speak to, I mean, what, what precautions and whatnot did they have to take in order to be in the mindset? And is that healthy for them? I believe that uh, for the first Deadpool movie, uh, the, the two stars of that movie had to take a lot of tequila before they filmed or rather, lewd yeah. scene I, i've not i've not seen the movie but i did i did read this article and it does seem to be a lot of a lot of uh alcohol uh being used uh to l- loosen people up themselves and you know a little too much mm-hmm. liquid courage now i can understand if you've got a big board meeting coming up and you're very <laughs> nervous you know maybe trying to loosen yourself up i i could understand that reasoning anyway irrespective of how you as a christian feel about alcohol but if if you have to medicate Mm-hmm. yourself so much to a scene like this is this healthy is this truly healthy on on these people we have to ask that question and then also like what are the what if and this gets into tricky material because there, there's often it seems like there's not a, a whole lot that's often discussed about this because maybe the actor actress like it's just part of the job and they just want to move on to the next scene or and which is you know understandable but like you have to wonder in the case of like amelia clark how many roles has she been offered where it's like, oh, you've, you've appeared nude in Game of Thrones, so you must be totally fine with nudity. Here's, these, here's like a really sexually graphic role. The expectation, what does that do to an actor or actress who has done these kinds of roles? Like, what does that do for them as, in, as a professional, um, not just as in their personal life? I mean, these are all the questions that I think that we don't, they may seem really abstract and, you know, obviously we can go down some crazy rabbit trails with them, but I think there are questions that are worth asking in this day and age, especially given that we live in such a, it is no longer just niche. I mean, Game of Thrones was such a huge popular success. It crossed all sorts of, it wasn't just a nerdy series. Like it had been crossed all into all kinds of audiences and markets. And as this stuff becomes more, kind of more pervasive, more popular. I think these are questions that we, not just Christians, but just general consumers of pop culture, I think these are things that we, we should be asking ourselves. What is the human cost of these years? Not just, what, not just how does it affect my conscience for good or bad, not just what kind of influences it have on me individually. You know, does it cause me to lust? Does it cause me to objectify women more in my own personal life? Or am I just blasé to it, which may be problematic in and of itself? Right. But from a broader perspective, what what is 
what's the human cost for the people who are who are making these things? How does it affect them? And if it affects them in a negative way, am I by watching it? Am I am I to what extent am I becoming complicit in that? Right. That's that's the big question. There is, and and I mean, of course, Christians have responded in very poor ways when they mm-hmm. think that their my entertainment dollars are going to support you know bad things. Like, okay, you can take that too far, but let's at least start asking the questions. And then, especially in an age of streaming media, right, where they can literally tell which scenes you're fast forwarding through and right. which ones you're lingering on. You know, in, in, in theory, you could actually do a soft boycott and still watch the show is, is a little theory I've had because, you know, if you say in the old days, if you went to see a movie that had, you know, had 95 minutes of normal action movie stuff and then, you know, 30 seconds of a scene that maybe you shouldn't have watched, you know, the, the producers had no way of knowing whether you were going there for right. the, the robots or for the, the person getting undressed. Right. Uh, and they, they kind of had to take a guess there. Um, so, so you actually, in your article, uh, you, you asked about the, the nude, nude moments and we'll, we'll go back to the conscience issues in our, mm-hmm. our feedback in a bit. Uh, you asked uh, quote, how are we to take it? Uh, proof the society on the continent is callous and depraved, a little R rated fun for consenting adults, a soft core appeal to the pervert side of the audience End quote. And that, that phrase pervert side of the audience, you link to an article, uh, with an now infamous quote from game of Thrones episode director, Neil Marshall. Uh, who said there was an executive producer that came to him and said, uh, hey, quote, I represent the pervert side of the audience, okay, end quote. And he said, hey, you can go full frontal, you can do whatever you want. Right. And that's you know that's where maybe I want to, to answer your question with, okay, is it for this, is it for this, or for this? My, my answer there, and feedback on my, uh, my answer there, my answer there is yes. Uh, you can, especially in a show that's designed to appeal to multiple different types of audiences, you can have one writer or a group of writers over here saying, we want this for this reason, X. Mm-hmm. You have another group or writer saying, well, actually, yeah, we can do the same thing, but I think it's for reason Y. Um, I think that you can appease the people who say it's art. Or, you know, We need to show how depraved they all are. Oh, and we also need some R-rated fun in there. And also we need to throw in something for the perverts. I, I think mm-hmm. that's where it gets mixed up is in my view, you can do the same scene and then it fulfills all of those things. And so then when you're asked about it, you can say, oh, well, uh, we did it for the art. You know, wink, mm-hmm. wink, nod, nod. Uh, what, what's your response to my, my answer there to, to your original point? <laughs> I think that I, I think that I, I, I agree with you. I mean, there, there is so much, especially on a production like of the size and budget of Game of Thrones or The Witcher or some of the, in these epic fantasy stories where the, the networks are clearly putting in a ton of money. There are a lot of voices in the room that are dictating what is there. You've got the writers, you've got the showrunners, you've got the directors, you've got the producers, and certainly the networks. They want to recoup their costs. They want to recoup their their expenses. And so, I'm not at all surprised that you've got producers who represent the the quote pervert side of the audience. I guess what I would like to see is more creative ways to display that same or to tell that same story. And this is something I bring up in my article of like, it seems like oftentimes sex and nudity are just, they're just shorthand ways of saying, Hey, this society is really messed up. We're going to make it gritty. We're going to make it adult. And so we're going to throw in some nudity over here. And same thing with violence. We're going to, we're going to throw in some senseless violence because we really, we really want to drive home how 
brutal and how gritty, you know, we don't want this to, we don't want, yeah, it's fantasy, but it's not for kids. And to me, that seems almost kind of cynical is the only way you can appeal to, to adults and really, you know, make your series gritty and, and what, what have you is by throwing in this, you know, checking these boxes. For, okay. We need to have this kind of content, this kind of content, this kind of content. Is that the only way? Which to me seems kind of very unimaginative. I, I want to see fantasy stories that break the mold. I want to see fantasy stories that are pushing the boundaries, not in terms of taste, but pushing the pushing the boundaries in terms of imagination, in terms of how how can we how can we communicate this stuff in ways that are fresh and novel um, for the audience and give the audiences something that's truly that will truly fire their imaginations and show them something they've never seen before. And for um, anyone who thinks that that cannot be done, even with those limitations, uh, I can take you back to the mid to late two thousands where uh, a little show on Nickelodeon of all places under the constraints of cable network, children's programming came up with one of the best fantasy epics ever. And it was called avatar. The last air. Absolutely. Fantastic show. One of my favorites. Didn't need any of that stuff. Now, of course, Christians can take, as, as we've heard, Jason, Christians can take that. Well, it didn't need that in, in, in some very questionable directions. Right. You know, didn't need by itself is not a sufficient defense. All we're saying right. here is that you, you, you can have an amazing story without those exploitative moments, not just, you know, nude scenes and mm -hmm. the private made public, but, you know, exploit mm -hmm. some, some violence and things that don't actually hurt actors necessarily maybe hurt some stunt people or people researching the effects of violence but you, you don't you don't necessarily need that to make a great story or to make an or to make a, a quote adult story and, and that's right. the thing that that really kind of bugs me is that it feels like you know this is you know whenever you start talking about sex and you know explicit content specifically sexual and sexual content and and nudity in, in stories that's a very hot button issue, especially for Christians, because it is for a whole host of reasons. And, you know, I do believe that stories can deal with sexuality, with sexual content. I think they can and they should deal with it in a frank and honest manner. Well, Bible, the Bible does. Absolutely. I mean, we're not seeing anybody. The Bible does it in a positive sense through the Song of Solomon and then sprinkled throughout the Scripture, Old and New Testaments, just by the implicit and explicit right. approval that God has for the physical expression through marriage. Uh, and, and then also describing the dysfunctions and the right. difficulties that arise when people have that gift distorted. And I mean, I think, let's say, for example, you, you're making a movie about the effects of, an, of adultery. You're going to, I mean, if you really want to be honest about the effects of adultery and infidelity, you're probably going to necessarily have to get into some tricky content just because of the nature of the story you're telling. And, you know, that's ultimately, you know, up to the artists who are involved and like how they want to go about it. But what frustrates me is that there is this sort of assumption that, uh, I mean, even before The Witcher, you know, to get back to The Witcher, even before it came out, I was talking with some friends of mine who, you know, were like, ah, we really want to see that they were really excited about the show because they had actually played the video games and they, they were more familiar with the storyline. But they, they were kind of joking about something. They were kind of joking that they bet it was just going to turn out to be softcore porn. And because of the Game of Thrones, I mean, the whole Game of Thrones kind of, I don't want to say pioneered, but there was like this joke of, 
the of they call it sex position where they'd have like these scenes of dialogue where they were telling story but then in the background there'd be people having sex or you know a bunch of uh, nude women and it was completely unnecessary to the scene but it was there because they could get away with it because it was hbo so in that in that case it, it wasn't you could you couldn't even go for the but it's art and all that argument because it was obvious even to non-christian viewers Oh, right. putting in the, it's it's wallpaper. It's like having a, a flickering torch in the background. Right. Just and I was, the atmosphere. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was talking with some coworkers of mine who, you know, they were watching the show and they were like, and they were even joking about it, who were like, um, you know, they're fantasy fans and you know, same as I am. And they were kind of joking about, oh, they just do, like it, how obvious it became where they would just throw in the, some nudity in this scene to like make it more interesting or uh, hey, this this scene's getting a little dull. Let's let's have a naked woman walk through the you know walk through the scene or something like that. And it just become it almost becomes kind of humorous in a way of just how unnecessary it becomes. And and that's not even a moral issue at that point. It's just more of a, a storytelling and imagining and like an imagination issue of is, is right. this is this the best we can get? Wouldn't that throw off the mood of the scene if you have, for example, a serious political discussion by your main characters in the foreground and in the background is something with a completely different uh, tonal emphasis going on? How am I supposed to feel here as a viewer? Exactly. And and that's where I think it, it feels like it's just thrown in there to make sure that you that we, the viewer, understand that we're watching a show for adults. We're watching a gritty, mature show. And it feels a bit, it, it's pandering at that point. It's it's and like I said, it's not even then a moral issue of like I'm offended that there was nudity in the scene. It's I'm offended that you have to pander that you feel like you need to pander to me as an adult intel you know as an intelligent adult viewer. And that's that was the other thing that kind of threw me with The Witcher is even just beyond any moral concerns I had about the nudity, it just felt like yeah, just like pandering of like trust you. You can trust me as an adult. I don't need to have all of the stuff in here just to make it interesting. Like you can do other things to make it interesting and not throw in some random explicit shot. Right. Which kind of gives the light of the idea of this is mature content is, is, is at least to viewers like you and, and me, it's coming across as very immature. Uh, there's a bunch of people strutting around saying, look at me, I'm so grown up. I can drive a car. I can file my taxes. Like, yes, thank you. You're, you're very grown up. We're so proud. Mm-hmm. Um, and, which yeah. go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say. I mean, I think I've I've said a lot of criticism of The Witcher and its and its use of sex and nudity. There was um, I, I just want just to be fair. Um, there was one scene in The Witcher that where there's some very graphic nudity that it actually in that particular scene. I mean, again, putting aside the possible you know issues of conscience and and moral issues, just from within a storytelling viewpoint. That I actually found the the nudity not to be shocking in in the right way, for lack of a better term. And it's this it's a scene where one of the characters undergoes this like horrific medical procedure, this horrific like cross between a medical procedure and like a magical ceremony. And in that scene, I felt like it 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 was not at all arousing or any or in any way, shape, or form. It was actually showing something it was actually revealing something about the desperation of the character it's of the, of the character involved the, the lengths to which she was willing to go to to change her lot in life and i found that like 
again, putting aside the more any moral issues I had, like that was an instance where I felt like the the nudity actually did serve a storytelling, a, a serve serve a bit of a more of a storytelling purpose that wasn't just literally, right. you know, wallpaper. It was actually, and it was. I would imagine that scene was very difficult for the actress involved. And so I don't want to downplay that at all, but from a storytelling perspective, it actually, I felt drove home the point of that particular scene. Right. At least there's a case to be made. There's a case to be made there on on the, in, in, on the side of the, but it's art, you know, we, we need this because it's art. Like, okay, there's at least a better case we made there than there is. If you have just a room full of people walking around with clothes on or sex position moments. Yes. And, but there still gets back to, okay, you still get back to the the moral issue and the, the matters of conscience issue of like, okay, I can respect this scene from a storytelling perspective, but it gets back to the question of, okay, what is that doing? What is, what is viewing that do to me? But also what was required of the actress in that scene? How comfortable or how distressed was she in that scene? What did she have to go through psychologically, mentally to prepare herself for that sort of scene? And again, is it worth it for me to watch that scene knowing that and right. my complicit and that gets and gets back to the whole issue of complicitness exactly well you have i mean understanding that although this is art this is creativity which mm-hmm. creativity itself reflects the soul of god our creator but it also reflects the uh, the sin-stained soul of man uh, mm-hmm. which who is not just the creator but also often exploiter right uh, in this case you, ha- you have a system of of creativity you know call it hollywood as a colloquialism mm-hmm. or just you know just the idea of movie making show filming uh there are a lot of people in there who are very powerful humans uh we've we've talked before about you know harvey weinstein who as, as we record this he's actually on trial for exploiting or being accused of exploiting uh actresses who were starting out in their careers or else you know uh, needing to curry favor with the power uh, players mm-hmm. and, and he himself a very powerful executive you know taking advantage of these people both on camera and off camera mm-hmm. uh, and he's not the only one you know and and we wouldn't want to point fingers or name a lot of names especially if they have not been accused in a court of law but this does happen you know regardless of whether the producer is, is male or female but right now most producers and you know decision makers are male Mm-hmm. And even if someone signs a contract saying, yes, I agree to do these scenes, you know, could it be a bounded choice? It, even yeah. if in theory, could it be a bounded choice? Well, even if there's a 1% chance of that happening, we have to ask ourselves as, as uh, partakers of these stories, like, wait, wait mm-hmm. a minute, like, you know, in theory, this could happen. And in practice, it has happened right. because as you've mentioned, you know, actors, actresses like Amelia Clark will come out later often when it's safe to do so when the careers more are, are more established and they'll say you know actually remember that moment way back here well here's what was kind of actually going on yeah. you know and even even then i can't help but wonder if they're being a little guarded uh yeah. so i'm wondering okay what what aren't you saying you know because what you are saying sounds pretty bad if we get, get real quick to oh do you have a, a comment about that well, uh, i was gonna, i was going to bring up we, we had talked earlier before about the there's a the episode in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I can't remember the exact episode, but there's an there's an episode where Spike and Buffy have this very toxic relationship, and Spike essentially tries to rape Buffy. And you go back and you read interviews with James Marsters, who played Spike in the series, and he talks about how traumatic that scene was for him, and he talks about like basically it was like one of the worst experiences of his life, and you know, oh, wow. um, 
basically like talks about how he was like curled up in a fetal position between takes because he found it so traumatic to do that to another person. It was just acting. Obviously, it was it was pure fantasy, but he was the one who's being forced to do this. And he talks about how um, he became afraid during that particular season. It got so dark that he even became afraid to read. He became afraid to read the scripts. He was going to have to do whatever the writers thought of. And he's going to have to do it to whoever they thought he should do it to. And you just, you read things like that. And I, I think if you have, it gets back to that complicit issue. It gets back to that being concerned about our neighbor and thinking, okay, I'm watching this and I, I'm enjoying the series, but what, what was the human cost in this scene? This really powerful, traumatic, disturbing scene. And it may have been a very, it may have been a, a necessary scene from the storytelling perspective and a necessary scene for the characters. But what about the human, the, the actors and actresses or, and, and whatnot who are involved in doing that? What was, what did it require of them? And is it worth it? If once I know that, is it still worth it for me to find any sort of enjoyment or respect or appreciation for that scene, whatever it might be? Well, even, even in a, a lower key uh, example, even in a story, that isn't uh, based on you know that kind of darkness or or exploring the themes of what happens when one human being abuses their power uh, and and tries to you know exert their will over another human being you know which is which is what assault is it's mm-hmm. not foremost a distortion of sex although that's included but assault is a twisting of power it's an abuse of power over another mm-hmm. person uh, but but even in um, uh, the the science fiction movie Passengers. Uh, there was a uh, mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt starred in that, uh, and they had uh, they had a love scene as part of their their characters' uh, journey uh, in this uh, movie on on board a, a generational uh, spaceship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence afterwards spoke fairly openly, it seemed, about how I mean, my words, not hers. Uh, she had she had conscience problems because mm-hmm. Chris Pratt uh, was married. Right. Uh, and, and she had not done that before. And she, she spoke in terms of, you know, this really bothered my conscience. Cause I have to kiss this, kiss this man. What is his, what has he feel about that? How does his wife feel about that? Right. And she spoke in terms of, you know, this is part of my journey as an actor and seemed to say in so many words, you know, I, I got over it. This is what you have to do. But there is no assault in the story. You know, the actors weren't having to get in the headspace of pretending like they were assaulting someone else. This was totally consensual in the story. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was, it was still really bothered her. And and so yeah. even even if one actor kisses another, you know, I, I mean, some Christian actors go to great lengths to avoid this. Uh, Kirk Cameron, you know, he of yeah. uh, Christian movie fame uh, will not kiss any other actress on screen. They actually put his wife in silhouette at the end right. of Fireproof, so he didn't have right. to kiss his, the actress playing his on-screen wife. So, you know, that's one solution, but mm-hmm. you know, that may be something that uh, Christian uh, theatrical performers or, or actors uh, could share with us. You know, how, okay, how have you gotten around this? You know, because we want to respect their consciences as well as the right. consciences of, of the viewers, um, such as... Um, uh, Andy S., uh, who commented on the, on the Facebook share of your article, uh, he, he agreed with you. He said, quote, spot on. I made it to the beginning of episode three, that is of The Witcher, uh, before I got creeped out by the serious and adult imagery. 
It looked less adult and more like something I would have come up with when I was 14. (laughs) I'm genuinely resentful of this idea that any story with swords also has to show female nudity. Yes, Game of Thrones was successful. So was Lord of the Rings. Show some imagination, end quote. Mm -hmm. Which goes to your point earlier about how you know, this is not necessarily mature content. Uh, it comes across, or I think it should come across, as a as a distortion of maturity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need this to to show an adult story with gray areas. I, I think mm-hmm. maybe some viewers, some people, in my opinion, can associate those things with maturity, um, but that's not so. Um, Especially if you're just at home watching it on TV, it occurs to me that people, you know, Christians, for example, in the social services or who work in emergency rooms or who are soldiers in a foreign nation, you know, they have to deal with these things in real life. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're just watching it on TV. Like, you know, maybe, maybe for us, this is kind of a play acting maturity. And, and for those folks who are in those very difficult callings, you know, this is all real to them Mm -hmm. and they get the full consequences of those terrible things right in their faces whereas we can just sort of dabble in it yeah with it, with it on our tv screens dabbling is a really good word for for that and and i think you know the word dabbling kind of has a negative connotation of like we're just sort of play acting with this we're not really in, in, engaged with it we're just sort of experimenting with it and if we're you know using these stories as just a way to sort of dabble in escapism I don't think that's necessarily the best way to go about, you know, just like, I'm certainly a fan of, you know, quote unquote, mindless entertainment. Like I, I love a good, I love a movie where it's just stuff blows up real good as much as the next person. Um, But uh, at the same time, like, I I think that especially as Christians, we have a bit of a higher calling of even if we ultimately end up defending a show like the Witcher or a series like game of Thrones. and And to be clear, I think there's a lot, to be lauded about those series. I, I don't want to just right. write them off, you know, point blank. But as Christians, we we are called to think carefully and thoughtfully about what goes into our hearts and minds, about what we are what we expose ourselves to. And you know, like I said at the, at the beginning of the conversation, it, it is ultimately comes down to a matter of conscience. But there needs to be that conversation. And that's why I, I love reading the comments. Like even though you know, Jeremy totally disagreed with me. I loved his comment. I loved the points he raised because those are points that I want to think of. I want to think through. I, I want to think through what does it mean to be a spectator? What does it mean to engage with a fictional world, with a, a secondary world? Because as a fantasy fan, as a fan of good stories, that's those are questions that I need to think about. And, you know, the answer may be different every single time depending on the story, but it's still questions that I think, especially as Christians, we need to we need to ask ourselves those questions. Right. Well, it depends too on as, as a Christian where you're coming from in your right. faith journey. And uh, a lot of of people, like even you know, readers, writers, or websites like you know, Christ and Pop Culture and and many others that both you and I are familiar with, a lot of people, not everyone. But plenty are coming from a background of what I like to call a default posture of suspicion. Popular culture at best has something to prove to me. Otherwise, I'm going to view it as a sewer, as a cesspool, as big evil Hollywood trying to corrupt our children. Okay. I say those with a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a mm, tongue in cheek, you know, but because there's some truth. Yeah. I mean, that was. I mean, that was the the church I the church environment I grew up in, where 
yeah you know evil secular liberal hollywood out there to corrupt us we need to and yes there is i mean there's there's always some truth to that but it seemed but like even as a high school student i was like this seems really like a really extreme knee-jerk reaction because i can point to you a plenty of areas in you know conservative more conservative circles that are just as problematic but it just becomes like we're christians are very good at generating boogeymen and of saying okay this thing over here whether it's you know liberal hollywood or this politician or whatever and saying all right and pointing fingers at that and saying that is completely and totally evil and completely and totally corrupting and you know it is this it's this very defensive posture and some people that maybe they may need to do that but i think as a general stance it's that's not the healthiest stance because it's it's for one thing it's based in fear yes and as christians we are not to be given to a spirit of fear Exactly. Power and love and self-control. Second Timothy one seven. Yes. And I mean, I, I, I certainly want to respect people's conscience, but at the same time, and I hope people do this for me as well. I, I, I hope people also are challenged at times and saying, okay, is this really the healthiest perspective to have? Do you really believe that Hollywood is completely and totally demonic or is there room for common grace? Is there room for, okay, flawed humans that can still make stuff that reflects the beauty and and the beauty and the spirit of their creator. And I mean, I would I would say that's absolutely possible. And there are plenty of examples of non-Christians working in, you know, quote unquote secular liberal Hollywood who make stories that are full of deeply resonant and deeply powerful themes that are telling stories that can really that have a lot of benefit and for Christian viewers to think about. Oh, amen. As as we as Christians are moving from, you know, maybe that inherited view that, you know, well, popular culture is presumed evil or at best frivolous mm-hmm. and with, with something to prove, you know, we might then arrive at a stage where we are emphasizing only the good right. that is in, is in popular culture, uh, which, which I view as uh, an inevitable stage of development. And I, I think I'm, I'm kind of seeming to come out of that myself, you know, where I'm, you know, it's, especially in this podcast, you know, uh, for fantastical truth, we want to emphasize the good stories, you know, particularly right. that we can find from you know, Christian writers and uh, not because they're, they're always the best, but just because, you know, they, they can be very good and, yeah. and we want to emphasize the good ones. But you know, we can get stuck in that stage of development and only be talking about the good stuff. And then right. we are missing the need to call out you know, the idols or even the, the difficulties of making these kinds of stories. Surely we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And so I would encourage anybody who's, you know, came, came from, uh, from a more conservative tra- or traditionalist, you know, big Hollywood is evil type environment and is now maybe tempted to go into a, a, a perspective of, you know, well, popular culture is actually presumed good and it's the church back home that I'm going to suspect all the right. time. I, I would urge people who are thinking that, hey, we're glad you're here, but, but keep going, keep going. The sure. world is way more complicated. Yeah. You know, sometimes big Hollywood actually is pretty terrible and the church back home might have some redemptive value to it, even though they can be really annoying sometimes. I mean, there absolutely has to be a tension there. There's absolutely a tension. And how that tension plays out in the lives of individual believers is going to be different from person to person. 
I mean, that's why, you know, I, I love what we're doing here and I love the discussions. There, there absolutely needs to be conversation about it because I'm, rather than just putting up fences and saying my position is 100% totally irrevocably right, there needs to be that, there needs to be the understanding that A, there, there, there is a tension here and it's going to look different for every single believer. And it is actually a good thing to hear what other people and other Christians have to say about this. Even though they, I may still end up disagreeing with them, hearing their arguments and their convictions can help mine. It, it challenges me and it helps me grow. It's the whole iron sharpening iron sort of thing. I want to hear conflicting viewpoints. And you know, some of them I might think, okay, I've heard your viewpoint. I actually still think that's pretty silly. <laughs> Others might be like, okay, that's actually a really good point. I, I need to think about that some more. I, I thought I had it all figured out. And now that I've heard you raise that issue, I need to go back and chew on this a little bit more. And I may still end up sticking to my original point, or I might end up changing a little bit. I mean, that's just all part of growth and maturing as human beings and as, as Christians. We don't want to stay static and locked in our, our stances necessarily. No, amen. Fully agreed. As you've mentioned, uh, there's a journey of a character in the the show, The Witcher, called uh, Yennefer, which has apparently been getting a lot of compliments. And of course, you know, I was a little disappointed uh, to hear that this was going on in the show because I'm not one of those people who can you know watch the show and then not think about those kinds of moments. You know, mm-hmm. it, it does bother my conscience. So there's my cards on the table. But nonetheless, you know, my man Henry Cavill in there, you know, apparently. Uh, in suspension as Superman for however long that's going to last. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was waiting for you to drop that. I was waiting yeah, for you to mention that. It's it's part of my brand there a little bit, you know. But you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, it is a common grace that you have an actor who is not only you know a, a decent actor and so disciplined physically, but also who's apparently a bit of a nerd as well. Uh, he's kind of a nerdy jock type chap. Love it. I love it. And to, to, to pursue the character of the Witcher and, and lobby for playing him, you know, is, is a great grace even amongst the darkness here and the exploitation and such, because yeah, it's not just a paycheck for him. And some could, even in an age of prestige streaming drama, some could view it as a step down. Wait a minute, dude! You're 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 you know a lister now. Uh, you were in uh, DC movies uh, and you were in uh, Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, as as the villain, you know, cocking his fists for the big restroom fight. Yeah. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so let's not forget the awesome, even while we are trying to speak prophetically about the not so awesome or the terrible, and and also speak with sensitivity towards the different conscience issues that Christians face. It's important to realize that nothing like no. Very rarely, in, in my experience, I guess, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that, in my experience, very rarely have I come across a movie or a TV show or a book or that is 100% irredeemable. There are always going to be aspects of it that I'm like, and it may, it may end up uh, making me more disappointed because I, I might find myself thinking, oh, I really wish they would have emphasized that more than what they did emphasize. I really wish they would have pursued this angle or this subject matter or this direction more. But I'm still grateful that they, I, I, I'm still excited by what was put in there. And that's, there's that, there, again, it goes back to that tension of, and that common grace introduces into all of this of realizing, okay, I have to, I have to realize that I'm watching stuff made by flawed human beings who are still nevertheless 
as flawed as they are, that does nothing to mar the, the image of God that is in them. Like they are still created in the image of God. They are still capable of creating powerful, imaginative, heroic, noble works that are still filtered through their human flaws. And it's the same with me, you know, and that's a very humble, I think that should be a very humbling thought when you're, when you are trying to think critically of this stuff. And, and as someone who writes a lot about you, who's written tons of movie reviews and music reviews and whatnot, um, that's always the kind of the humility that I want to come from of like, okay, this common grace has to be involved here. And I, I may still end up ultimately criticizing the work, which I, it was happening in the case of the Witcher, but I fully understand why other faithful Christians might disagree with me and might find value in the series. And I want to hear those arguments. I want to hear that. I may still end up disagreeing with them, but I'm, I'm thankful to hear those other voices. Well, another benefit of that is that as people are having these conversations, you know, not just Christians too, because I saw plenty of non-Christians kind of waking up, but when Game of Thrones was, you know, beginning its uh, downward slide and and realizing, wait, wait a minute, this is actually not advancing the story. This is kind right. of a one-trick pony here yeah. with the exploitative moments. Uh, conversations like that, I would hope. Uh, would would lead in 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 a direction of of helping to improve these stories. Uh, mm-hmm. My my co-host Zach Russell uh, ended up not being able to make this interview, uh, but his note on that is uh, he said he was hoping that the creators of the upcoming adaptation of The Wheel of Time would take notice of these criticisms because he said he really wants to watch that series. It's his favorite fantasy series ever, but he also really hopes it isn't all you know quote mature end quote content you know designed to reassure the viewer that they're all so very grown up and they get to watch right. naked people without the constraints of broadcast television anyway let's hope for the best there and then god forbid that happens to to amazon's middle earth series yeah that would it, be- it's already uh, it's already starting to creep a little bit into um like a, the the recent series of star trek picard now nobody's walking around naked although they did have a rather silly gratuitous underwear moment um but like Picard in its second episode, uh, Jason, no spoilers if you haven't seen it, but they dropped an, an F-bomb right in the middle of a conversation at Starfleet headquarters, and it was just so jarring. Mm. Um, like It's just like, okay, I'm sorry, this word it doesn't belong in the Star Trek universe, uh, not just to me, but it just, the scene, well, the flavor wasn't there, and then somebody just, boom! I think uh, it goes back to... I think this goes back to the fact that streaming streaming media has sort of changed the game because it has it for better for for good and ill. I mean, on the one hand, you get stories that you would never see anywhere else. I mean, I you know one of my favorite series on Netflix um, is Dark. Um, it's a German series. It's fantastic. The third season, the third and final season, I think is coming out later this year. I hope I would never get a chance to see that if it weren't wasn't for Netflix, but. The, the downside of that is it has made it, po- it, it, it makes it, it, for lack of a better term, it empowers producers and creators to push the, push the boundaries in ways that, you know, I think that is, that are easy to find, easy to consider to be gratuitous and unnecessary. Um, and so it gets, it's, it's, it's a, it's a mixed bag and, and like, it's going to make it even more necessary for us to ask the sort of questions that we've been talking about um, on the, on this on this podcast about what is the responsibility of us as viewers. We can no longer just say it's just mindless entertainment. We have to play a more active and thoughtful role, thoughtful role in the pop culture that we are consuming because it is so prevalent and it's so easy to access it, and it's there's so much of it, and it's easy. It's even more tempting to just turn your brain off 
You know, I'm just, there's so much out there. I'm just going to turn my brain off and just watch the next thing on Netflix or the next thing on Amazon. And I think it's even, it's, that makes it even more necessary for, for us as Christians to be more thoughtful and to, to really work through this and wrestle with it even more. Amen. Well, in closing out, I'm going to give us two plugs. Uh, the first is for my book. Uh, actually, I'm the part one of three authors in a book that's coming out in May, uh, May the 4th, actually, 2020, from New Growth Press with Ted Turneau and Jared Moore. Uh, the book is called The Pop Culture Parent, Helping Kids Engage Their World for Christ. Uh, we have a lot of material in there about just this topic of engaging popular culture, how we do that as gospel Christians, and particularly how we can not only identify the good, the true, and the beautiful in culture, but also the idols and the way that the gospel subverts and p- provides a better fulfilled promise to the good desires that are the humans can twist into idolatry. And of course, help to teach your kids to do the same. So I have to get in there, but uh, that, but we also need to uh, encourage listeners that they need to find Opus Zine uh, on on the web and look at those articles, look at those, what is it, anime reviews, music reviews? Uh, give, give your pitch. I want people checking um, out. So yeah, it's, it's I'll, primarily music and movie reviews. I also do a lot of stuff with anime. Asian cinema is another passion of mine. Um, so Arigato. it's it's a it's a pretty wide ranging stuff, um, uh, uh, wide ranging spectrum of content on there. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love for people to check it out. Follow me also on Twitter and Facebook. The links are there on my website. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear from people. I'd love to hear what they think. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. We loved hearing what you think, um, particularly because there's only so much time in the day. We can't all watch shows like this, and even if we can handle it conscience-wise, but this is what the body of Christ should do. As you were mentioning earlier, we have to talk with each other about these things. We have to take in mind our own weaknesses and concerns about stuff like this, and just when we have full-time jobs to do, taking care of our kids or working in an office or outside you know, we can't keep up with all these shows. So that's why Christ gives us each other with all of our different gifts uh, to appreciate different genres, to know what the expectations should be and to communicate with one another. So I'm just really grateful you're out there doing this. And here's to another 23 years running Opus Zine. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Well, let us know uh, what you watch next. Uh, give us any suggestions uh, for uh, coming back on the podcast and letting us know about it. And of course, uh, listeners, let us know what you think. Did you watch The Witcher? What did you think of it? Did you avoid it like the plague? What did you think of it? Uh, any pushback or affirmation, comments, questions, complaints about this conversation? You can go to lorehaven.com slash podcast and leave us a note there, either in the comment section or send it straight to us. You can also email podcast at lorehaven.com. Send us your thoughts and really appreciate uh, you then uh, participating also in this discussion as part of the body of Christ. Jason, Godspeed. Thanks again. Thank you. Our thanks to Jason Moorhead for joining us. Um, You know, the main thing you really should have quibbled on with him, Stephen, is the fact that he credited Henry Cavill for Justice League and not Batman versus Superman. Was Henry Cavill in Justice League or was it kind of a CGI Henry Cavill, <laughs> particularly in the upper lip? Well, his mustache region. wasn't. <laughs> mustache. Ha mustache. ha 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 ha. See, I know how to be a grumpy fanboy. I can make the, <laughs> I, I can make the mustache show. I mustache you whether that CGI is good. Oh, then I think, go ahead. Oh, but uh, yeah, I, I really love what Jason said though about um, Mortal Kombat. 
so I, I grew up a huge video game nerd and um, an arcade junkie and uh, had a lot of birthday parties at the arcade. Actually, the, the most consistent way I went to the arcade was every week after a swim meet in high school or in the summertime, we would go to Mr. Gaddy's and Mr. Gaddy's had a big arcade. So they had Mortal Kombat there and I, I have tons of memories of playing that game and yeah, killing people as Sub-Zero. Uh, but like you said, that it's that game has really changed since then, and it's unfortunate that it's given the developers PTSD. So that that makes me think very differently about that game now. That could be a whole other sequel podcast to this one, honestly, because mostly when I think about the harm that's caused to actors during live action creations like this, I am thinking about the sexual content. I always had this little line in my head, like, well, if you're an actor and you're 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 swearing. For example, that's you're you're saying a series of syllables in English, and you may or may not actually be mad at that moment. And yet, even then, you're kind of getting your headspace in the, in the framework of a, an angry character. Uh, violence is usually simulated, but at the same time, what about the harm to stunt performers? But then, even when you're making something like a video game, which may have some live action references, but is in fact animated, there are going to be references for that kind of gory terrible stuff that happens to human beings so that they can try to make it look realistic even if it's stylized and yeah it's a, that's something that i think we as christians do need to think about uh, particularly when we're playing games or, or watching tv shows where they, they've done that kind of research yeah all right well steven let's open up our mailbag Huzzah! we've gotten a lot of great comments and email and other feedback so this one i'm going to read is from jordan h he said um i'm about three-fourths of the way through the first episode, and I think I'm the bullseye of your target audience. He says, I like the love of magic and imagination paired with dedication to belief in inerrant scripture, which is rarely found. I'm definite, I definitely would love to hear y'all's theology of imagination. So that is definitely coming up, Jordan. So thank you for, uh, thank you for that kind comment, and look forward to a future episode about that we'll definitely get to that future episode about a theology of imagination i'm sure that'll be one of our shorter ones five minutes and we've covered all there is to say about the bible and imagination what you don't think we can do it in five minutes (laughs) here's another uh uh, actually someone had signed up for lorehaven magazine Uh, this is js that's a that's the initials there jsr last name starts with r he or she says quote i'm really happy to hear about fantastical truth in the podcast kingdom subscribed as soon as i found it end quote thank you so much for subscribing uh apparently to the podcast as well as the magazine of course that free magazine online at lorehaven.com great our next comment comes from a Stephen s and um you know i this might qualify as our first hate mail but i i may be interpreting it wrong we can we can see he says quote turned off halfway through and this was in um turned off halfway through in quote yeah okay. and so and this was in uh reference to um you had posted the podcast through the speculative faith blog and the title of that post was didn't like the halftime show our new podcast explores the purpose of dance and so um so Steve, he turned Steve off the podcast halfway through so that's what i didn't thought like what we said about dance but but yeah so but did he mean he turned off the halftime show halfway through or did he turn off our podcast, which sort of related to it. So now I don't know, but I, 
I'm I'm going to go with the, the halftime show. I'm going to go with the halftime show. Yes. Who would turn off the podcast right. halfway through? Now, again, that was episode three where we were exploring uh, Sharon Hink's book, Hidden Current, yeah. and talking about dance in the Bible as well as in the story. So we didn't have the halftime show in mind when we recorded this, right? but it did happen to kind of coincide with the controversy over the halftime show when it released just a couple of days after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Okay. So I think it was just kind of a benign comment. Okay. Well, appreciate that. It was then. hate mail to the Super Bowl. Uh, thank you then for uh, for not uh, hate mailing uh, the uh, Fantastical <laughs> Truth podcast there. Uh, send your hate mail to Stephen. <laughs> oh, actually, send it to podcast at lorehaven.com. Stephen Burnett, my co-host. Yes, not and the other uh, CC it to me. Uh, here is uh, another, actually, this is a tweet uh, from uh, Meg M uh, after episode three released uh, about uh, what if dancing could control the world. Meg M writes, quote, the team really hit their stride in this podcast, engaging and excellent content. Hashtag fantasy books, hashtag podcast, hashtag dance, end quote, dance with a capital D. Thank you so much, Meg M. Uh, we hope to keep hitting our stride and uh, not step on any toes. Well, thank you guys for all the feedback. Please send us more at podcast at lorehaven.com or comment anywhere on our social media pages. And please subscribe to Fantastical Truth on any podcasting platform you prefer. And you can get every you can get new episodes every Tuesday. Stephen, to pivot to uh, something else, and Jason's article that I really liked, with all of his frustration about the content of the show, he said it, quote, reveals a lack of faith in the reality that there's nothing inherently kid-centric about sci-fi and fantasy, end quote. And I really like that comment because one thing I'm always looking for with new fantasy and sci-fi stories is that same sense of wonder that I remember from similar stories I grew up with as a kid. Can you relate to that? I can, definitely. Uh, growing up, of course, something is always new uh, when you're in that early stage of development and particularly when you discover well, any kind of story when your, your brain begins to grow up and you realize, oh, this is amazing. But particularly when you discover a fantasy story or a sci-fi story, there is a particular kind of sense of wonder, excitement, imagination that is awakened at that time, uh, particularly for certain kinds of personalities. I can remember that. You can remember that. I'm sure many of our listeners can remember that. So in our next episode, that's what we will explore. We're just going to go over yours and our favorite fantasies that we remember from when we were kids. What kinds of fantasies got us started on this journey? Were they TV shows or books? Uh, in my case, a radio drama or two. The question we will ask is, how did you first discover fantastical stories? We hope you'll join us for that episode and continue to join us in this eternal mission to seek and find fantastical truth. 